0: My name is Zach. I have had the privilege of working here at the church for the last year and a half or or so, Um, and I've been saved for the last about five and a half years. I came here as a youth, and I left for for years and, and came back and just got radically encountered by the Lord, and so I've been working on staff with the young adults, which is just the greatest thing I could ever ask to do, but um. Uh, I have a daughter named Kingsley. She's eight. She's an evangelist, too. She's a worshiper. She's amazing. I also have a beautiful girlfriend in the front row named Kate. She's the most joyful person you've ever met in your life, and um, she's amazing. But uh, tonight, we're going to be in the You ask For It series. We're still in the You ask For It. So you guys asked for us to preach on specific topics, and we've been talking about relationships. And so tonight, we're going to talk about friendship, and I'm going to tie in singleness to that also. And so tonight's title is called The Heart of Friendship. The Heart of Friendship. Just a brief testimony, like I said, I've been saved for five and a half years, roughly. I got saved at The Sound in 2016. Before that, I was addicted to drugs, I was addicted to partying, sex, drugs, heavy metal was my life for for seven, eight years. And uh, just got radically encountered. And I was thinking about this message and thinking about kind of how my friends looked, my friend group looked before I was saved. And really, it, it was just consisted of, of drinking, getting high, just having fun, and just kind of just doing, it, doing everything in the moment and just really never had much depth to it. Um, I had a few friends that maybe I, I was closer with, and I still am close to some of them today. But um, when I came into the church, it was the first time that I really felt like embraced by friends like family. Like, I had friends that, like, actually cared about what I was thinking and what I was feeling and, like, where I was going in life. And, like, there was actually, like, this, this, um, this intentionality that was with it. And it was, like, nothing I'd ever experienced before. And it was so, it was so healing for me. And so I was just thinking about... Um, just how much God has used friendships over especially the course of me being saved for the last five and a half years and how much it's changed my life. And so I want to talk to you tonight. There's two, there's two uh, examples of friendship in the Bible that I want to look at um, between two people and then a friendship with God. And, uh, and so I was reading, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about the story of David and Jonathan. How many of you have heard of the story of David and Jonathan before? Classic friendship story between two brothers. Like, it's kind of the, the natural go-to, right? And I was kind of, like, hoping to not go, go to the, like, the cliche, whatever, like, friendship story. But as I studied it more and more, how many of you know, like, you can hear the same thing over and over in church? But when you actually start studying it for yourself, um, it, it just becomes open to you in a whole new way. And so this has probably been one of the... One of the hardest things that I've ever studied just in scripture personally, something that you might not know as a preacher, but something that I've experienced and I've come to realize it's what something most preachers experience is. When you're going to preach about something, it's usually the very thing that you're dealing with in life the most. And so um, I just want God to speak tonight. We're going to be reading in 1 Samuel, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And what I want to show you is that I believe that David who we always, we, we kind of go to David in, in the Bible. We kind of seek after that story. He was the man after God's own heart. One of our slogans at Heart of the City is that we're a people after God's own heart. But I believe that David would have never been David if it weren't for his friend Jonathan. And so I'm gonna show you what I mean. In First Samuel 18, it says this, uh, verse one through five. It says, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. God, we thank you tonight for just the fact that you you chose to send your son. You chose to love us when we were at our worst, God, that you come and you pursue us. So, God, we just ask that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, I pray if there's anything that's not of you, God, that it would fall to the ground. And we ask that you would open the scriptures up to us, Lord, and you would speak to us what, what your heart of friendship is. God, we thank you for tonight. Lord, I pray that the the word would fall on fresh soil tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen. So just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Saul had just sent out David, the shepherd boy, who was just kind of playing the harp for him while he was feeling sick, right, out to battle. And so basically you have David who goes from being shepherd boy to playing the harp in the kingdom. And then he goes out to make some sandwiches for his brothers who who are at war. And they're facing off with Goliath and nobody has the guts to take Goliath on. And so uh, David swings his, his sling and he kills Goliath, right, with a stone. And he comes back, and all of a sudden Saul takes notice of this kid, and he's like, "Man, not only can this kid play the harp, but he 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 can kill too. He can he can fight." And it says that um, that Jonathan saw saw David talking to Saul, and his soul was knit to him. And I can't imagine exactly what he was like thinking in that moment, but I mean, if I would, can put myself in in Jonathan's shoes, you know, you see this kid who all of a sudden he's a shepherd he's a shepherd over sheep, and then he's in the kingdom playing the harp, and then he's going out to uh, bring some sandwiches to his brothers, kill this uh, this giant, and come back and keep playing the harp. I'd be like, man, this guy is dope. I want to know this guy, you know. But there was, something, there was something about David that Jonathan was drawn to. And Saul could see it too. And so we're going to go on. We're going to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to try to get through it all. There's so much to get through, but I'm going to do my best. Um, so going on in verse 6 through 9, it says... As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry at this saying. The saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. In other words, he was jealous of David. He saw that there was something special about him. And so he set him over these men of war. And he only became more and more successful in what he did because he kept being successful in war. And so people, people took notice that there was something different about David. And it says, uh, going to uh, chapter 19 now, it says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son. And to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. So Jonathan immediately jumps on guard and he goes to protect David. He warns him, My father's trying to kill you. Go and hide yourself. Jonathan risks his own life. And then, lastly, in chapter 23, verse 15 through 18, it says, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So just an overview, David, all of a sudden, he gets anointed to be king, he goes through all, the, all this process, and he starts stepping into that calling, right, he, he slays Goliath, he's in the kingdom, people are noticing, people's eyes are all on David, like, who is this guy? And Jonathan is drawn to him as a friend, but Saul becomes jealous and wants to kill him, and he makes it his life mission to kill this kid before he becomes king, and we see this, 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 um, this scenario where he's trying to kill him and Jonathan warns him and tells him to go to this place. And I believe it's in this place that we see the way that Jonathan treats David is how I believe the characteristic, the characteristic traits of a godly friend. And so I believe that, that God really showed this to me. And so just really briefly, I just want to tell you guys um, four characteristic traits of a godly friendship that we're going to see in verse 15 through 18 that we just read. Verse 15 Verse 15 through 18, or uh, sorry, 15 and 16, it says, David was in the wilderness, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David. The first characteristic trait of a friend is that they will be with you in the wilderness. They will be with you in the wilderness. I can come up with a lot of examples of how friends have shown up for me. In the past, but I was just thinking of something more recently—not that recently, but pretty recently. So, like I said, I started uh, my girlfriend up front. Uh, we started dating back in December, and about a week after we were we we started dating, we were on a date, and my mom she called me and she said, "Hey, you know your grandma, she's sick. She's not feeling well. Will you go and check on her?" And so I I asked Kate, I was like, hey, I need to go check on my grandma. Do you want to come with me or want me to drop you off? And she's like, no, I'll go with you. And so I, I go, not really knowing what to expect. She'd never met my grandma before. I'm very close with my grandma. And uh, she just she used to live right down the street here. And um, we go there, and she's just totally out of it, right? She's sick, and I'm thinking she must have the flu. She's just not, not being herself at all. And she asked if I could go and, and clean up her room. She had spilled her pills, her medicine, all over the place. And so I go into her room, and Kate's kind of talking with her. And, and I'm just seeing there's just a mess everywhere. I hadn't, hadn't been there in the last maybe week or so. And uh, there's just medicine everywhere, trash everywhere. She had knocked everything off her nightstand. And um, and so Kate's there helping me clean stuff up, and we're, we're talking with my grandma a bit, and then uh, we, we end up leaving, and I'm thinking, you know, my grandma's she's just, she is sick, and I actually was leaving the next day for a trip, and when I got back about 12 days later, my grandma was, was now on her deathbed, and it just, it happened like that. And so she, she had cancer and some stuff, but it was, you know, old age, it was just, it was her time. And, um, and so I get back, the day that I get back, that Thursday was at Seek Week at The Sound, and that day, I actually got to go to my grandma's house and, and lead her to the Lord. And she was probably one of the hardest cases in my family. Like, don't pray for me, don't touch me, don't tell me about God. And she would say that, but she would also say, but I know that He's real. And I say, how do you know, Grandma? She said, because I saw what He did in your life and I see how different you are. And there was such a, yeah, thank you, Jesus. One of the most amazing testimonies of my life, for sure. But, um, in the process of that, you know, I had family from California, family from Montana, Oregon, Washington, all over the place there because my grandma impacted so many people's lives. She was so close with so many people. I lived with her for years. She was like a second mom to me. And at the same time, I'm, I'm dating this new person and trying to get to know them. And I'm like, I don't know what she's going to think about all this stuff going on. And I'm grieving. I've never lost anybody. And so I'm losing somebody for the first time and not really knowing how to, how to cope with it. And, uh, and yet she, she was just there. The whole time she was present, she was praying with me, she was praying for me, praying with my grandma, comforting my family at the funeral, all these things. And I'm just like, man, who does that? Like someone you just, you know, just are starting to know. And man, I really believe that that was a a sign of someone being for me in the wilderness. How many of you know you don't need friends when you're on the mountaintop? You really don't. Like, I really don't need you when I'm on the mountaintop. I really don't need you that much when everything is good. But when everything is hard and everything sucks and and life is overwhelming, that is when I need you. And see, the thing is, we don't always need to have a solution. I mean, how many of you know you can't really offer a solution when someone's dead in your family? But you can offer your support. You can offer your presence, being present with them. You don't always need to have a solution. You just need to have the ability to support And so the the, the first one is being with them in the wilderness. In verse 16, it says, and strengthened his hand in God. So he went to him into the wilderness, and it says he strengthened his hand in God, and he said to him, do not fear. Do not fear. Depending on the translation you read, uh, the Bible in most translations says this phrase, do not fear or fear not, about 365 times. How many of you think that God maybe knew that you were going to have to deal with some fear every now and then? And how many of you know you might need a friend to tell you to not fear, to tell you who you are, to tell you what truth to believe over the lie, over the enemy, over the fear when those times come. And um, so the second characteristic of a true friend, I believe, is that they will encourage you. They will speak life into you. Again, there's lots of examples I could come up with with times that friends have shown up for me. I was thinking about specifically, man, this right here, this is, so, this is so outside of my comfort zone. If you would have asked me five years ago if I'd be standing on a stage preaching to people, I'd say there is no way. And yet God had a way of, of preparing me for that. And I remember being in youth group and, man, pressing into God just to have a word for the 30-second welcome in the beginning. Like, God, I need your strength. I can't, I can't be in front of these kids. They're going to tear me apart. <laughs> Honestly. I was pressing in for that 30-second welcome, and then all of a sudden I get asked to preach, and I remember being in the back room in that green room, and my friend Stephen here being in the back with me and and encouraging me before I came out to to speak for my first time, not in a way that's like, oh, man, you're going to kill it, like, you're amazing, all this stuff, but like, yeah, this is a big deal. You should take it seriously. (laughs) I'm like, because I have, because we have a reverence for God, and even the second time too, uh... Same person, but I remember being at Topher and Jamie's house, and he was living with him at the time, and it was, this, I think, second time I was going to preach. And, again, I was just so nervous. Like, I'd already done it once, but it doesn't matter. Like, you get nervous every time. And, man, he sat there, and he preached to me about a whole sermon before I went to preach. And... I just, I need that. I'm a words of affirmation guy in general. Like, I need to be affirmed. I need to be told that I'm doing the right thing. And and it's so easy to let the voice of the enemy come and creep into our lives. Like, that's the main way that he tries to attack us is with lies. And we need people around us that are able to speak truth when we're not able to speak it over ourselves. We need those people that can tell us, do not fear, and to encourage our heart. And so the the second trait is that they will encourage you. Just like Craig said a couple weeks ago, and Nick mentioned tonight, we need to spur each other on. We need to spur one another on. In verse 17, says this, you shall be king over Israel. So Jonathan meets him in the wilderness, encourages him, says, do not fear. The hand of my father, he will not come to you. But you will be king over Israel. The third characteristic is that they will speak into your identity. They will speak into your identity. So many examples of this. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even pinpoint a specific one. So many times, man, when I've struggled, I, I'm a human, right? We're all human here, pretty sure? We all struggle. We all have things that we're tempted with. And, man, I remember time and time again being able to call my friends, my brothers, and say, man, I'm having these temptations, or, man, I'm dealing with this thing, I don't know, the right decision to make. And them snapping me and shaking me into shape and being like, that is not who you are. Whatever it is that you're dealing with. God wants to bring wisdom, God's going to bring support, and you're not defined by your failures, you're not defined. Let me just tell you, if you're here right now and you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with things that keep coming back and back around, you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by who God says you are if you put in faith in Jesus. If, you're, if you are born again, you're a believer, you're not defined by your sin. That's not who God says you are. He says that he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. And you need people that need to tell you that when you're, when you're not sure what decision to make, when you're ready to throw in the towel, when you're ready to give up. You need people that can tell you that is not who you are. You are a child of God. You are called for greater things, and you're going to get through this. The third is they will speak into your identity. The last one is this. It says, verse 17, and I shall be next to you. Jonathan says, and I shall be next to you. I think the the fourth and most important characteristic trait of a true friend is that they will put you above Um, themselves. I don't need to give you a specific example of this in my own life because it lays it out perfectly in the Bible. Jonathan, he sees something on David. And not only does he risk his life to save David, he risks his own life to save him but he saves him in order that he can take the throne when it was rightfully Jonathan's. It was Jonathan's place to take the throne of Israel. It was his dad, King Saul. It would have been passed down to him naturally, but David was anointed and Jonathan had the humility, had the trust in God in himself to say, no, this is for you, this is meant for you, and so I'm gonna risk my life, and also Saul's daughter, David's wife, risked her life in order that David could take the throne could take the that that he was anointed to be. And so I believe that you have to have people in your life that are not only willing to risk themselves for you, but are willing to see you succeed over them. You need people that are willing to say, oh, man, I don't care, even if it means that you're better than me, even if it means that you get greater recognition, man, I want to see you succeed. I want to see you excel me. I want to see you surpass me because I love you that much. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jonathan humbled himself to allow David to fulfill his calling. He saw the call of God on David to become king, and he believed in David enough and trusted God enough to take his place To fulfill his purpose. The world says to outdo, outperform, outdo everyone around you. But a true godly friend will be okay with you surpassing them. So Jonathan's heart of friendship towards David, I believe, is a a sign of God's heart towards us. Our friendship with each other is is a picture of the gospel to the world. Jonathan went to David in the wilderness encouraged him, spoke into his identity, all with the spirit of humility. God humbled himself, stepped off the throne and into the earth, died on a cross to save us, and called us sons and daughters. Romans 5, 6-8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God stepped out of heaven and came to us face-to-face, met us at our worst, and rose from the dead so that we could have access through faith in him, to have relationship with him, and to save our souls. Man, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? right. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says this, a man of many companions will come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Beautiful. Some of those... Uh, some other translations will say friend twice, a man of many friends, but there's a friend. But they're two different words. And so the Greek, if you, if you look into the Greek, the, the first one, companion, it's talking about a neighbor, a friend, an associate. But that second friend is talking about someone that you love, familial love, romantic love even, or covenant loyalty. Find one or two friends that you can go deep with. You can have a lot of friends, but make sure you have friends that you can go deep with. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And I believe that the deeper we go with people, the deeper we're going to be able to go with God. You're not meant to do this life alone. So if you haven't gotten to that place yet where you're weighed down, where the lies are creeping in, where everything's overwhelming, where you're fearful, where you're afraid. If you have never gotten to that point, keep living. It's, it's, you're going to get there. God said it's not good for man to be alone. He's not just talking about relationship between a man and a wife. He's saying friendship. He's talking about relationship between one another. It's not good for man to be alone. Just a disclaimer, we all fall short at times. We will always let each other down at some point. You will let someone down, and someone will let you down. But there's Grace. People will fall short. Something to consider too. You may have heard the saying, some friends are for a reason, some for a season, and some for a lifetime. Jesus puts it this way. John 15, 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Some people are meant to teach you something. They're in your life for a reason or you're meant to teach them something. But not everybody's going to go on in life with you. And you have to be able to discern in your heart when it's time to let a relationship go or whether it's time to stick it out. But Jesus, you know, he loved everyone where they were at, but not everybody was willing to go with him. Think of the story of the rich young ruler who went away sad. Not everybody's going to go with you. Not everybody's going to understand. And that's okay. It's okay. How many of you are single? Raise your hand if you're single. Keep them up for a minute. Take a little peek around. (laughs) Just throw that out there. I think singleness is important to tie into friendship because, man, my my time of singleness, this last five and a half years, I haven't haven't dated anybody since I've been saved, has been the most enriching time in my life to have deep friendships that I can experience life with and before to prepare prepare us for marriage. And I just want to say... It's okay. It's okay to be single. It's okay that you're single. I loved my single this season. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much, I did not want to let it go. I, I'm serious. Paul said if you're single, stay single. Don't seek to have a wife. If you're married, don't seek to be single. Like, be content with where you're at. I think that's one of the reasons that that made me want to stay single so much is because I just met people that just weren't content with themselves. So they thought bringing somebody else into the mix is going to make you happy. No, you're just going to make them miserable too. You can't be with yourself. Oh, that's for free. I wasn't even in my notes. Um, <laughs> Psalms 37:4. I don't have this up here. You don't have to worry about it. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Don't misinterpret that. I heard that thrown around so much delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. God wants me to have a supermodel wife. God wants me to have a brain surgeon for a husband. No, He wants to be the desire of your heart. He wants you to be so content with Him that you're not seeking to fill yourself with somebody else. He wants to be the one. He's drawing you in. And I just want to encourage you wherever you're at in your, in your singleness, however long it's been, embrace it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Enjoy your time with God. And when your eyes are fixed on him, he will put that person in front of you. Proverbs uh, Proverbs 18.22 20, 18, says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Not one who seeks a wife out. At the same time, if you're a guy in here and you know that you're content in the Lord and you know that you're like, you and the Lord are good. Be bold. Absolutely. Yeah. Come on, you guys.
1: We got to step out
0: here. Yeah. Huh, Nick? Yeah. On, shoot your shot. But let God be the delight of your heart. Let Him be the ultimate desire. Like my time, my, my, my intimacy time with God. I so I so value. I so look forward to. And when I was I was single all those years, man, I, I dated the Lord. We it was just me and him. And I, I never want to stop that. But that's gonna lead into your into your relationship. You need to be able to carry that into it. Just to bring it back all around, the difference between Saul and Jonathan was that Saul was jealous of David. Saul was jealous of David, but Jonathan, Jonathan was jealous for David. He was jealous for his friendship. He was jealous for his love. All Saul cared about was his, his, his. He wanted the throne. He wanted to be king. He didn't want anybody else to take it. He was jealous. He held on to everything with a tight hand Jonathan said I don't care this dude's from God his hand God's hand is on him I want him to succeed man I love this guy I don't care about myself I don't care about being the best or whatever this guy's going to be king that was Jonathan's heart and I believe that should be our heart and I'm not perfect that I'm not up here saying that I I have that all figured out but I believe that that is God's heart for us and that's what we see we see God he's jealous for us his, his love is pursuing us, It's pursuing you today. No matter where you're at with him, if you think that you've been walking right with the Lord or it's been lukewarm or, or maybe it's been non-existent, he is, his, his love is jealous for you today.